Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, with Pastor John King. Good morning. Today, we are going to begin our second to last chapter in the book of Ephesians. As you can see, we'll be in Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 7. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 7. And so while you're turning there, let's take a quick review, a real high-level review. Last week, we spent our time looking more closely at our sacred responsibilities. Now that we're walking, worthy of our calling in Christ, it should bear evidence in our lives. If our thinking has been renewed by what we've learned then God will, in turn, change our hearts and behavior. You know, it's up to us, it's incumbent on us to change our minds when it comes to obedience, and then God starts to change our heart. We know that this change in behavior, as we said last week, is, uh, is from the old sin nature to our new nature, but it's not a self-improvement project. It's not to make you or I a better person, so to speak. Why? Because we've received Christ as our Savior. We've already been made righteous and holy in the eyes of God, but because of our old sin nature, it still has a, 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 sometimes a very strong effect on our flesh, these fleshly bodies. We must learn by the power of the Holy Spirit to put on new garments. Put by the, you know, again, uh, our old sinful habits. We need to put off the old sinful habits, our old garments, if you will, of our sinful life, and put on our new garments. And, you know, we saw the example last week. We were to put off anger and bitterness. And, and we don't complete the project, if you will, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We must now put on forgiveness and love. Whenever you do it halfway, you're not really accomplishing the things God wants to do. We were reminded that the reason that you and I are able to even have victory over sin and temptation is because God the Holy Spirit lives within us. And he's a person living inside of us. And we can cause, because he's a person, we can cause him to experience pain when we choose to live a carnal Christian life. And so knowing that you're hurting and grieving God the Holy Spirit should cause all of us, all true believers, to really want to see change in our lives, in our walk, through the Word of God and applying those, those principles. So with this in mind, this week, Paul's teaching now will get much more refined, as you will see. Not only are we to walk with renewed thinking in Christ, but we're also to walk it out in love. And how do we do that? Well, we do it by being imitators of God. We're to imitate Him. We do this by walking in the ways of the Father, by being kind and tender and forgiving and having fatherly love, if you will. But we also imitate God by walking in the ways of Christ our Savior in love and humility and sacrifice. So let's look at our passage this morning, Ephesians 5, 1 through 7. Paul reads, or writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've brought us to this place, and sometimes it's, uh, it, can be, uh, it can be hard to hear your words that speak so closely and so distinctly and so accurately of the things that you and I we struggle with here of of what we struggle before you lord and so father uh, we just ask that you would give us give me first of all a a humble heart before you these are these are convicting passages when we see the totality of our sin and lord but at the same time we uh, we can give thanks and praise unto you because we've been redeemed because of your sacrifice and because of your love and so lord we just simply ask that you would instruct us now, that you would go before us. Give us ears to hear. We pray this now in Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. We start out in this section, of course. Uh, obviously, he's, he's wanting to exhort the church in Ephesus to be imitators of God. And how? By walking in love. So to imitate uh, God and, and, and actually put their walk to work. Uh, as we say often in the book of Ephesians, the first half of the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, explains to us where we sit in Christ, the marvelous place that we have. You know, we have a seat reserved for us in the highest of the heavens where Jesus is. And so we learn that. We learn how to sit and understand who we are. But now it's time, as we've been saying, to walk out our faith. So he begins with a precept. Paul is continuing to instruct his readers how to live in ways that please God. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Now there's a lot in that very short sentence. Therefore, be imitators. That's where you get the word mimic, our word mimic, imitators. But notice he says, be and that's that Greek word, that Greek verb, very important Greek verb, uh, hinomai or gidomai. And it, what it means is to become a follower of God. Be or to become. And the idea is that of commitment and attachment, devotion, attention. Before a person can be a follower of God, he must commit and attach himself to God, says one writer. He must surrender and devote his life to God and then begin to follow after God. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, these words are going to go in one ear and out the other. And maybe the Holy Spirit will convict you along the way and maybe he's going to work in your heart through this. But if you don't know the Lord, you won't be able to apply the principles that those of us who do know Jesus will have. So he says to be imitating God, how? Well, how they treat one another. And that's imitating God as dear children. 
And so, again, now we see our, our, sta our, our status before God as dear children, meaning that we're dearly loved by the Father. This isn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts. We have a position before God, and we're dearly loved as children by the Father. He's appointed us for salvation by Jesus Christ. And because we are children of His, we can follow Him. This word dear is, uh, is agapatos. It's from the Greek word love. You've heard it, agape. His dear children. So notice again, Paul begins with our standing. Who we are and how God sees us. So what are the things of God we should be imitating? Well, remember the sentence started off with therefore. And that means we have to go back to verse 32 in, verse, in chapter 4. So maybe you can look through your Bible and you'll see in verse 32 of chapter 4, he says to do the following things. This is how you follow God. He says, be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Be forgiving to one another. You know, to be kind is not only just to be nice to one another, but it's also to be useful. Think about how ways you can be useful to one another in friendship and in fellowship. It says to be tender-hearted. Of course, we know this is compassionate. To be compassionate. And of course, something so important, forgiving one another. Not only forgiving, like, oh, okay, I, I forgive you. No, it's forgiving with a gracious attitude. And again, you're never going to be able to do that unless the Holy Spirit resides in you. Because you and I are very hard to get along with sometimes. And he says, even as God in Christ forgave you. You see, he loves us for Christ's sake. And we're to love others for Christ's sake. And that's all you really have to say when you say it that way. You don't have to expound hardly at all on that. Because no matter what we've done, we can receive forgiveness. And because we've received forgiveness, no matter what somebody's done to you, you can forgive them. Amen? Amen. So because we are his children, we're members of his spiritual family, we are to walk in the ways of our Father. Kindness, tenderness, forgiveness, and love. But also we imitate the redemptive love and the worshiping love of Jesus. And we see what it really means to be one who mimics God, who follows after God. In verse 2, he says, And walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us. This is that redemptive love. This is, this is what changed everything for our eternal destiny, was the fact that Jesus Christ died on our behalf. He's given himself. Now notice, he's given himself. Paradidomai, another Greek word. What it meant in that day, in biblical times, and what it means to us when we read this of Jesus, having given himself. What did he do? Well, that means he was betrayed, he was given over. He was placed in custody. He was judged, condemned, punished, scourged, tormented, and put to death. That, that one word, given over, means all of those things for what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. And it became what? An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, the world would say that, you know, that's infanticide. God, you know, he's mean. He made his son go to death. No. We know that that was the only way that God could be pleased was for Jesus to be our substitutionary 
atonement, if you will, our substitute on the cross. And that pleased the Father, that sacrifice. And that's worshiping love. Because Jesus worshiped the Father that much by offering up his body. And this is what worshipers bring to God. We offer up ourselves for sacrifice before the Lord. For a sweet-smelling aroma. Again, this thing is well-pleasing to God. Jesus not only died in our place as a substitute for the death we deserved to make a way for us to be forgiven, hallelujah, he also sacrificed himself to bring glory and honor to the Father. He had that in mind. John 14, 31, we don't have that verse, but John 14, 31, Jesus explained, but that the world, talking about his death, he says, but that the world may know that I love the Father. I love the Father. And as the Father gave me a commandment, so I do. You see, Jesus wanted to bring honor and glory to the Father. And that should be our desire. So notice the significance of our place in this divine story. You know, as our understanding of our, our salvation unfolds, even though many of us, we're, we're adults, obviously, but we're called to imitate God as what? Dear children. Just as a child naturally imitates their own parents. And this is key to you and I, our sense of security. As proud grown-ups, we will always reach a limit to our own strength and what it can accomplish. Well, yes, we want to be mature in the Lord, but as mature believers, we will still approach Him as a child of God. Our Heavenly Father has no limits. Chuck Swindoll wrote this, talking, speaking of Jesus and, and, and our imitation of Jesus. He said, like an older brother, Christ is the perfect model for us to follow. It stands to reason that as beloved children, we are to carry on our lives with the characteristics that are true of the Son. He's good, we should be good. He's kind, we must be kind. He's just, we should be fair. He's holy, we are to be pure. He's full of grace. We ought to demonstrate grace toward one another. And the list could go on and on and on. How far does this imitation of Christ go? Well, it goes all the way to the cross. It goes all the way to death. Our world is one of the greatest times of persecution for Christians in the entire history of the church. And there have been more, in the last 20 or 30 years, more martyrs for Christ than there were in any ancient times. And so, our imitation of Christ could, for some of us, bring us right to the grave. For the sake of the cross. And only for the sake of the cross. That's how far this imitation could go if God calls you. And so that's why we need to be equipped. We need to be ready. We need to know where we stand in Christ. We need to have that firm foundation in our hearts when temptation and trials come to us. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. In our next section, verses 3 through 4, we're going to talk about how we imitate God with moral purity. 
And in our secular world and in our carnal culture, in our carnal, sometimes Christian culture, this one's going to hit very close to home. Let me warn you. Paul begins to warn us about sinful patterns that, that can cripple us with carnality and it can dim our witness, making our lives ineffective and even harmful to the cause of Christ. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. So Paul cuts to the chase now. He's going to get right to the subject. Fornication, that's where we get the, the Greek word pornea. This is where we get the word pornography or, or porn as it's called today. This is illicit sexual intercourse. Sometimes it stands for or includes adultery. But it's any sex outside the God-given biblical boundaries of marriage. Next, he says uncleanness. Now, this is uh, uh, related. It's sort of like the English word for catharsis, but it's the opposite. Acatharsis, or excuse me, acatharsia. It's formed as a negative. Just as something is carth or cathartic, cathartic, yep, that, that's a word, cleanses us, okay, if we have a catharsis, it cleanses us, acathartis pollutes us. It's the opposite effect. And with it, we get moral uncleanness. We get a lustful lifestyle. We have impure motives. Now he adds to that covetousness. Pleonexia. This is a greedy desire to have more, but here it's referring to sensuality. And as Hughes writes, what it really means, it's greed for someone else's body. And you know what he says after that? He says, let not, or let it not even be named among you. Or King James Version says, let it not be once named among you as is fitting for saints. Now later in the letter, he's going to explain that many had come from that lifestyle, had come from that lifestyle. The Ephesian city was a city, you know, ten times probably worse than some of the cities we could think of like San Francisco and New York when it came to this kind of lifestyle. Warren Wiersbe writes this though, he says, it's sad to say, and we know it, these sins have invaded the homes of Christians and brought grief to local churches too. Covetousness may seem out of place next to fornication, but the two sins are but different expressions of the same basic weakness of fallen nature, an uncontrolled appetite. The fornicator and the covetous person each desire to satisfy the appetite by taking what does not belong to them. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes would describe these two sins. And he says, let there not even be a hint of these sins among you. Verse 4, he continues. He says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. Filthiness is obscenity, both in conduct and as in speech. Foolish talking. This is where you get the word moron or moronic. Foolish talk. Moron. It's not a nice thing to say to somebody, but that's where we get the word moron from. One writer describes it as the talk of fools, which is foolishness and sin together. Foolishness and sin together. Think of it as, uh, think of it as simply a waste of time. 
There's no good purpose to it. Proverbs 15.2 The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours, for, pours forth foolishness. And next he talks about coarse jesting. Jesting is, is sort of being able in a conversation, is being able to kind of turn the conversation easily. Someone with a quick wit, and in, unfortunately in this case a quick wit and a filthy mind, you have, you, you, what it looks like is, you've seen it. You've seen it on the talk show hosts, off-color joking, using words that are easily turned into other meanings for obscene connotation. You know that late-night talk show host kind of rolling his eyes as he speaks in so-called double entendres. Phrases or words with double meanings. And this, you know, is witty and it's funny and we, I, can develop those habits in, in things that, you know, hopefully are not obscene. And so we're not going to say that, you know, laughing is not uh, allowed. But when it's coarse jesting, it can really mess things up. And, and Paul warns us not to do that because it's not fitting. Because our conversation should be aimed at building up people. We live in a very cynical society. We're very bitter towards society. Many of us are very bitter towards society because of the condition of it. He says, which are not fitting. He says, but rather, instead of that, instead of coarse jesting, we should be quick to give thanks to God. You know, words like praise God and thank you, Lord, and praise Jesus, it's a great way to steer a conversation that's going in the wrong direction. Ecclesiastes 10.12 The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. Ooh. You hear me mentioning this R. Kent Hughes. He, he wrote a commentary on Ephesians, and if you can't tell, I've been reading a lot of his commentary as we go through this. But uh, in his book, uh, Commentary on Ephesians, he has a chapter in there entitled The Cookie Jar Syndrome. You may have heard this before, The Cookie Jar Syndrome. He mentions that, you know, what has become all too frequent within the church, and we know this, you have Christian leaders, you have authors, pastors, respected men and women of God who are let sensuality overtake them and cause immense destruction and suffering. We see it all the time. But he notes, he says, what's ironic, about, what's ironic about this is that among all the world's great religions, Christianity has by far the most exalted sexual ethics of any religion. And we, knew, we know this based on Jesus' message from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so he asked the question, why is the church, the body of Christ, so often rocked by repeated scandal? And part of the answer lies in what he refers to as the cookie jar syndrome. A little boy's mother had just baked a fresh batch of cookies and placed them in the cookie jar. 
giving instructions that no one touched them until after dinner. But it was not long until she heard the lid of her jar moved. Moms have a way of hearing things. And she cried out, My son, what are you doing? To which the meek voice called back, My hand is in the cookie jar, resisting temptation. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, you and I, no one can resist temptation when your hand is in the cookie jar. And our culture has placed open cookie jars everywhere. Online, offline, driving on billboards, walking newspapers, magazines, etc., etc., etc. But what about humor? I mean, is that, you know, are we just like, you know, are we going to be literally Puritans? Now, there's a lot of good things about Puritans, okay? They get a bad rap. But they also get the rap of Christians never smile, they never laugh, they never have humor. So what about humor? Well, first of all, we need to understand a few things. Uh, Warren Wiersbe wrote this. Two indications of a person's character are what makes him laugh and what makes him weep. What makes him laugh and what makes him weep. The saint of God sees nothing humorous in obscene language or jests. Foolish talking, however, does not mean innocent humor, but rather senseless conversation that cheapens the man and does not edify or minister grace to the hearers. You know, what, what comes out of our mouth, it's trashy talk, and we try to put it in the ears of our friends and our fellow believers, kind of looking at their ears as sort of like trash cans for our trash to be put in. That's not good. But we do have, of course, biblical support for humor. Proverbs 17.22, it says, A merry or a cheerful heart does good like medicine. Ecclesiastes 3.4 says, There is a time to laugh. Paul's condemnation of this filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting has nothing to do with a healthy sense of humor. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, I like he says this. He says, In fact, I firmly believe that God gave us laughter as a gift. Think about it. We humans created in the image of God are the only creatures he made with a genuine sense of humor. In other words, we have the mental and emotional capacity to be delighted by humor and laugh out loud at irony. Simply put, one thing that distinguishes animals from humans is that animals never get the joke. Try telling your dog or cat a joke and see what they say. But what does it mean when we have, you know, of course we can laugh, we're laughing, you know, it's a good thing. But we need to set boundaries. Set boundaries. We need to be aware in our group conversations. How many times, guys, have you been in a group of men, or even gals, and somebody tosses out some clever humor that's got inappropriate innuendo in it, and you find yourself laughing with the crowd? set boundaries, and obey God. You know, we're not to indulge in those things. And it's very easy to do. It's very easy to get addicted to pornography. It's one of the worst things that are happening in our day and time. But that goes along with movies and books and magazines, silly talk. If this is any part of our life, our hand may well be in the cookie jar. And what do we need to do? We need to pull it out. 
Pull your hand out of that cookie jar and do what instead? Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. We're not to joke about our sexuality, but we're, we're to give, if you're married, give thanks to God for it. Amen. And until you're married, don't be talking about it. In the context of marriage, Christians are not repressive about sexuality. Rather, they hold it in the highest respect. But joking degrades it, but thanksgiving preserves it. And don't dim your witness. Be a light bearer. Philippians 2, 14 through 15. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And finally, we look at our need to know, our need to know and to heed God's warnings. The Bible is Gives us plenty of warnings. And here we have one for us today. He says, For you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater. Again, one who practices fornication, somebody who's sexually immoral, all forms outside of marriage. An unclean person, morally speaking, unclean in thought and life. And if you don't think it's possible, go back and read the Bible when God had to destroy the earth with a flood. A covenant man who's an idolater, we talked about that. Somebody who's addicted to idolatry. The worship of something other than God. And our society gives us plenty of opportunity for that. But keep in mind that these warnings now deal with the habitual practice of sin. And not the occasional act of sin, which we all commit David himself committed adultery, yet God forgave him, and one day he took him to heaven. Certainly David was disciplined for his sin, but he was not rejected by God because he was forgiven. He came to the Lord and received God's forgiveness. He repented of his sin. But for those who make it a lifestyle, and that's what you're marked for and you're insistent on living that lifestyle, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. If a sinful lifestyle dominates and defines your life, you have no real desire to repent of it, then how can this be any clearer? How can it be any clearer to you and I? No inheritance means no share in the eternal life in heaven. Now, if you're a true child of God, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you're not given over to a life of lawlessness. That may have been something you left behind. If you're a true child of God and you decide to live a carnal Christian life, you will not be able to sleep. You will be miserable, miserable, miserable. You will regret your lifestyle until you repent and change. And that's just a fact. But God will not allow you to rest in your sin if you're a true child of God. But if you get comfortable with it, and your conscience, you know, works against. And that, that may be an indication that the Holy Spirit does not dwell within you because your conscience can be seared. And you can fall short. And you decide you're going to live a life despite. And there are people in this world who are not repentant, yet they continue to call themselves Christians. Let it not be mentioned among us. 
And watch out for this, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Not even your friends, even fellow believers who tell you, oh, it's, you know, it's only a movie. Don't worry, relax, enjoy. They're deceiving you. And they don't even realize it. We can be instruments for the enemy. And they're giving you empty words. These are vain, hollow, erroneous teachings. And Paul warns us not to be deceived by these things. You've got to stay in the word. Sexual immorality, immorality only degrades our humanity. It never enhances it, says one writer. It turns humans created in the image of God into objects created for gratifying their own selfish desires. And God has so much more to give us than what we chase after in the dark. Not only do we deal with the little lies, okay, the little foxes that get in, the little deceptions, but we can also fall prey to the big ones. When somebody says to you and I that sin is no big deal because God is love and he forgives no matter how much wrong we continue to do after our salvation. Those are big lies. But you know better because you know the word of God. You study the word of God. Paul says, look, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things that he described, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Romans 8, or Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Later in that same chapter, he writes in verse 24 and 25, Therefore, those who persist, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And finally, he warns us, do not, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Again, new converts to Christianity in the city of Ephesus in this ancient city where they had all these literal temples that were designated and designed to have worship of sex goddesses, Diana. They came from a very dark and idolatrous culture. Even to the highest levels of their government, think about this, even to the highest levels of their government, prostitution was practiced and prostitutes were held in high esteem. Now think of what's happened in our culture at the highest levels of our government. What have they legalized? What have they held, decided to hold in high esteem? I don't need to tell you because you already know. It says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Do not join in their practices. And so I close with this final writing, this final uh, story. You may have heard it before. Uh, Chuck Swindoll brought it forth, but he, he, he claims no credit for this story. Being in the Coast Guard, I kind of like the story. You'll see why. Far off in the dark, foggy night, the captain of a massive battleship spotted a faint light. Immediately, he ordered his signalman to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, the captain received a response. 
Alter your course 10 degrees north. The indignant captain stiffened, obviously not being, having used to have his orders rejected. And he repeated the message, this time with greater force and added punch. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain of this vessel. Almost instantly another message was received, calm to the point. I am Seaman 3rd Class Jones. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain fumed. What was a low-ranking seaman doing giving orders to a ship's captain? This had to stop. He responded pointedly, Young man, I repeat, alter your course 10 degrees south. This is a battleship. Then came a terse reply as the light pierced the darkness. Captain, I repeat, alter your course 10 degrees north. This is a lighthouse. <laughs> You've heard that story. Now this is a, it's a humorous story, and it's a fictional story. But it illustrates an important point for you and I. Lighthouses should never be ignored. They're not placed on islands and shorelines to distract us or to frustrate us. Their beacon lights are there to protect us. And to ignore or defy a light in the darkness is to jettison reason in favor of folly. And so I would ask you to recall our opening verse for today and take it with you. Verse 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, you and I be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, we ask that you know, you would have, it would have its way with us. That's the remarkable thing about your word. It will not return void into our hearts and minds. And Lord, I just, for me, I get to see sometimes the effect that it has, not only on my life, but the effect that it has on others. And so, Lord, what an honor and a privilege to speak your word to these fine people here, the folks that I love. It's my church family, the people that we do life together with. Thank you, Lord, for that honor and privilege. And we simply ask that you go before us, Lord. Let our walk reflect the light of Christ everywhere we go today and all throughout the week. We pray this now in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.